Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Hello and welcome back to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. We are so glad you are here. Today, we are going to just spend time, Jenny and I, having a conversation. We like to kind of round out our season with a time of reflection of looking at how we are constantly reframing and things that are happening in our lives and in our world and what we are learning from that and how we continuously grow because um, I think it's important, right? All the time we take in new information and learn new things and life happens. And when life happens, we have to reframe. And so I think it's good to figure out, you know, what what that reframing looks like and how, where it takes us and how we learn how to be in those spaces when life happens. And sometimes it can be hard and confusing and sometimes it's joyous and wonderful. So we just like to spend time together. And so you also get to know more about who we are at Reframing Our Stories and why sexual health is important to us and why we believe in the holistic approach of of educating and being with people. Because really, the whole reason why we started this is we want we want the world to be a better place and we want the best for people. We believe that all people deserve really good relationships. We believe that people should feel loved and cared for and nurtured. And we know that sometimes that's not the reality for many of us. And so what can we do to help change that for other people? Um, how can we help bring knowledge and education around these things to one another where people can, you know, maybe change their story. Sometimes we get trapped in our stories that might feel unhealthy or we continuously, sometimes we make a certain story that we tell ourselves our identity that maybe not need to be our identity, right? Or the story that we live into. And so that's why, you know, we started reframing our stories. Uh, we believe there's a better way. We believe that once we start learning more about our bodies and how we interact with them and the comprehensiveness of our brain connecting to our body and our emotions, uh, when we learn these things, how to live into sometimes those awkward spaces we do better, even if it might be hard, but we do better. So if you like this podcast, we really would love for you to subscribe and to rate us um, and share it with your friends because we would love more people to find us. One of the things I love about being a sexuality health educator is talking with people one-on-one. -on -one. It's in these conversations where we really break down what's been holding us back or things that have been getting in our way with relationships. It's in this time where I help people dispel myths, where we look at our expectations, and we can really focus on education. If this is something you are interested in, 
then please visit my website at www.reframingourstories.com. Jenny. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Kara. Aren't you glad you're here? I am. I'm glad. <laughs> okay. I have questions for you. Oh, okay. Let's have them. First of all, I just want to say that my friends, I have realized, call my questions Kara questions. Because evidently, I ask people a lot of questions that are, I guess, fairly intentional and deep when I'm when we like are hanging out and I'm like, hey guys, <laughs> just ask these questions and they're like, oh, it's time for Kara questions. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't realize I did this, but here we are. Do you segue into them or are they just, you know, you're talking about breakfast and then you ask some deep Kara question? I think I just ask a deep question, you know, like yeah. it just kind of comes out. Okay. I don't know. It's my randomness that I possess. <laughs> I, I'm expecting the deepest question now. Oh, well, shoot. Okay. Well, let me go. Let me, let me come up with the deepest question. <laughs> it better be deep or I'm going to be like, yeah, all right, Kara. <laughs> oh, darn it. Okay. <laughs> Here's a deep question. Based on this last year, where do you think we as a society need to change the most? Was that, that a, deep, a deep question? Did I do it? Yes. I think you did it. You <laughs> did it. Where do we need to change the most? Yeah. I wish everyone could see your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think people need to calm down. People need to calm the heck down, man. Take a minute. Take you a know? minute. Yes. Take a minute for so yourself yeah. before you respond, before you react. Also, read a little more. I feel like people make these snap judgments, decisions before understanding situations, before asking questions, before listening, mm-hmm. just reacting. You know, take a minute. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Everyone needs to calm down and take a minute. Take a minute. We should write a song. Oh, God. Are you going to sing? No. Okay. So I was really excited because yesterday my son and I have been like creating puberty songs. (laughs) Someday I do believe we'll have an album. (laughs) Oh, okay. We really created some good stuff. And then we went for a walk the other day and we talked only in song lyrics. And I was very amused and proud. (laughs) apparent that is entertaining yeah one of the features of our family is uh, bursting out into song so i think that's why we're friends because we maybe both... it might be there's a lot of random singing that happens in this yeah house. yeah which i delight in but i think you're right and i think that we all need to take a minute i feel like we have been programmed now to like read snippets of information and instantly have a reaction to it. And then we just kind of verbal vomit into our fingers, into a text <laughs> right? and put it online. <laughs> right. Which isn't helpful, helpful, nor is it productive. No, it's just, it, it's noise. A lot of it is just noise and it's not, it's not helping. I guess something I think about is, is this going to help anything? Does this help me? Does it help other people? Does mm-hmm. it help the situation? 
If not, maybe I don't need to say it. Maybe it's okay to have like just that voice in your head saying it, you know, <laughs> like mm. to you. Mm-hmm. And then you let it go. I don't know. I don't think people are thinking these things through. Maybe, maybe it, no, people are. Some I, people are not. Maybe it's a small minority that is not. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of us. I am. Um, I tell my kids, for instance, like when we, when you're at a stoplight and it turns green, I go, before you just go, count slowly to three. Because I'm like, it's often like there's people who run red lights, you know, and there's a lot of accidents, right, that happen in intersections. And I feel like we all need to learn how to count to three, (laughs) at least before we I mean, like there are reactions, right? But then it's like, if we're constantly reacting, then there's something going on and we have to pay attention to what is going on before we just react. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think uh, on another podcast, we were kind of talking about really like this this loss of listening that we don't know how to listen to one another uh, as we once did. You know, and I see it a lot with kids today when I teach this sense of it kind of concerns me when we talk about what kind of questions do you ask each other to get to know one another? And when I say things like, do you talk about, um, you know, what those kids are interested in? Do you talk about what their parents do? Do you ask them more about like their personal lives. And I get questions or responses like, no, because that's strange. Really? And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) well, actually, (laughs) we have to ask these personal questions to get to know people, especially if we're going to be in a partnership with people at any point in time. That's interesting. That's strange to say. Asking questions is considered strange. I guess that's true. I've asked my kids like, oh, where did that person go to elementary school? Or do they have any brothers or sisters? And it's like, oh, huh. I don't know. (laughs) I know. I think it's so fascinating because I don't know, maybe this is just me because I've always maybe done deep questions by Kara, but... But I also am like, how do we... it's called Kara questions, actually. Kara questions. Yes, you're right. (laughs) Maybe I added some to that. I keep thinking, I think I secretly want to do, I secretly want to be like Jack Handy. <laughs> deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. <laughs> yeah, Deep Thoughts by Kara mm-hmm. in a mirror. Yes. I think where we adults are failing our kids is that we're not helping them learn how to have communication skills you know, of learning how to listen, learning how to ask the questions and teaching them how to do that because we've just given them devices. It's like somehow, don't you feel like we have gotten like so much busier? Like we've gotten really busy. And so then, and we don't have, and I was just reading an article about this, which we've talked about before, about it was an article on how the nuclear family is not healthy. Okay. That the, the premise of the nuclear family was it, it was healthy and, or it, it functioned for a short amount of time in history, but we're, which was like within like the late forties and Mm fifties. 
into the sixties. And that was about, and then like towards the late sixties, seventies is when it started to break down again, but we're still living in this model that doesn't function. And I think with the onset of all these electronics, then it's like we as parents are overworked, expected to fill so many roles. And so we're like, here's a screen because <laughs> we don't have any other support. Right. And what was some of the breakdown like in the 60s and 70s that was being described? Well, so it kind of, it, if I can recall, because you know, sometimes my reading comprehension isn't the best, but um, basically, you know, for centuries or whatever, we lived in a model where we had extended family that was around. Um, or we were much more open in our neighborhoods with our neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. Comparatively to now where we have much more privacy, where we have many more fences and where we've become more of this isolated entity of a home and the just the family within the home. And we've moved away from so many more of our family. Right. And so it is, it's, it's too much work to raise children and expect to make good salaries uh-huh. doing it alone. And it said that the only reason why it does function for those who are like wealthy is because they pay people to be their extended family. Right. So they have all these support systems in place, like a cook and uh-huh. nanny, a housekeeper. And so it says what the nuclear family caters to the rich and is diminishing to the poor. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Things like that. But I also have said that it's not good for relationships because the partners are expected to fill so many roles for one another and are also, especially in this day and age, right? With this pandemic, we were expected to be teachers, playmates, you know, romantic partners, <laughs> like right. all of these fill all of these roles that we are incapable of doing. Or take this screen, right? Like let this screen be your playmate. That's what I'm saying. So, so we have, because of our breakdown of not being able to do all these things, we are, we pass over this thing of entertainment mm-hmm. as a way to say here, <laughs> like, I'm depleted. Here's your screen. But look how much we like, you know, I see little babies holding phones like in grocery stores and different things like this. Right. And so I feel like with all these screens, we have lost the ability I th- or we are losing the ability of learning how to have the conversations needed to form deep connection. And I think that makes sense. Okay. Like if I think about my childhood, I grew up with cousins, aunts and uncles, grandparents all around me. Mm -hmm. And I think even those types of interactions are teaching, right? Like these Mm -hmm. older generations are talking about their experiences or giving advice or asking how you're doing to try to learn about what's happening in the world of children of that time. Mm -hmm. And I think that is also impacting us right because what I see is like with my kids um, being able to interact with people 
in conversations, just general conversations. I think, I think mm-hmm. there's a, there's a skill that is being lost with that too, of like being able to speak comfortably with an older person or exactly. being able to interact with a great aunt that you barely know that you see every year, but you know, mm-hmm. that kind of connection is being, mm-hmm. is being lost. Yeah. At least my kids' experience is different from what I grew up with. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, I grew up without having a lot of family. I just, you know, had a grandparent who ended up living nearby, but that was the extent. Like we had, my family was all over the place and we only saw each other maybe once a year. Mm -hmm. And, and I think too, like, because of this, they said the only way too that like the nuclear family could work as it did was because of the like kind of patriarchal roles around it of the man going to work and the women staying home. It's the only way it can really work because then you have someone kind of running the households and someone bring, you know, going out to bring in money. And then there was also this element more of like, since more women were all in the community that they kind of like helped each other, but that could only be sustainable for so long. Right. Essentially. And then, so like when, now when we need to have more working parents in order to bring in the amount of money that we need for to buy a house, to buy a house, (laughs) those things don't work. Like it doesn't work anymore. And also it's also saying, you know, and it's also not being, you know, it's giving, it's telling those who stay home, like that's, that's your only purpose, right. Instead of like accounting for their, their needs, right. Outside of wanting to just be a caretaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like the, it's the culture and environment we're in has not shifted to accommodate these changes of a family moving away from family, mm-hmm. of remote work, of not having as many interactions with each other. Yeah. And I think, and because of some of this, I don't know, I always look to see like why things are breaking down, you know, but like this year, out of all the years, I think that I've been teaching with kids, I have not, I mean, they are so depressed. The kids were hurting this year and the stuff that they said in the comments um, and question box, like one, they know way too much, I think for their age, to be honest, Mm -hmm. a lot of the fifth graders were asking questions where I'm like, okay, well, they're looking at pornography, you know, like some of their questions were much more in depth. Um, and then just the comments overall, especially with like eighth graders were just sad. It was just really sad. I think sixth through eighth graders, um, Mm -hmm. there's this almost like a sense of hopelessness right now. And then I think just a little bit of devastation of like, you know, like going through puberty to begin with is hard and trying to figure out how to feel and how we're supposed to be, but then to put on top of it, this access to the world in so many different ways and all the information that they're taking in all the time is overwhelming. And I think just like the amount of messages they're getting without necessarily the uh, conversation to go alongside of it. 
is is putting so much pressure on them and also still expecting academic excellence on top of it. I feel like it's kind of getting debilitating to our kids. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, It makes sense. And there's like with the lack of conversation and there's the lack of context and the follow-up questions and the clarifying misunderstandings that would occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's true. You were talking about one of the questions you got was, I would say, a health-related question um, where the child was fearful about what was happening with her period. Mm-hmm. And it was a completely normal thing that was happening, but had come up to you and you know, gotten the answers that she needed through the conversations you were having in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And it made me think like about kids that have things that are happening with their bodies that are scaring them and they feel unable to ask their parent about it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's a sad, you know, it's a sad oh. circumstance to think that they weren't able to get that clarification and information well, and I think, I mean, if you think about it, like that's probably most of America because we've made these comment, these topics so silent or, or like, well, you can't ask about this because we've already been indoctrinated with shame around it. And so, I mean, I think that's why so many people are walking around feeling like garbage about themselves because they grew up too. Like, I remember not wanting to talk about my to my parents about some of this stuff. And it was because of, you know, it's because of, especially periods were made to be like so shameful. I remember kids when I grew up would pour like red juice from juice boxes on the table and be like, oh, gross, who had their period on the table? And stuff like that. Yeah. And then they would like, scribble red crayon on a sheet of paper and put it on a girl's seat and be like, did you have your period? Like, no, it was like horrible. And I'm like, man. And I just remember at that time, I'm like, I remember thinking as a 12 year old, like this stupid, like, isn't this normal? Like it's a normal part of what we go through. And why do we make people feel like crap for it? Right. Yeah. No, I remember things at, at my elementary school too, where, you know, somebody saw a pad in the garbage can and then everyone went to go look at it, you know, like like what, you know, or I think I heard about, maybe this was through you, but this, this thing of um, toilets getting clogged because kids didn't Mm -hmm. know that you couldn't throw the pad into the toilet, right? I mean, mm-hmm. all this other stuff goes in the toilet. This? Surely this does too. <laughs> this. Yeah, why not? And I thought, wow, how did someone not, not know that they can't put that in the, the toilet? And it's like, they didn't get taught, right? They didn't get taught how to use this thing, what to do with it when you're done with it. When is it actually considered garbage versus mm-hmm. keeping it on, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, have, did they have that conversation? I don't know. And it's, it's, it's kind of a, this is happening to like half the people out in the world. So I know. why is it such a mystery? And why do kids need to go stare at it in the garbage? I know. It's so, 
it just like dumbfounds me, like how we have gotten to where we are in terms of our bodies and sexuality. But I mean, you know, I, as someone who teaches about shame and religion and things like that, uh-huh. it, it kind of makes me a little ragey <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. to know that so much of our Western Christian culture stems mostly from these white philosophers instead of, you know, the idea around Jesus. And instead it comes from like Augustine and like Plato and things like that of people. And um, there's a handful more of them and I just, their names are escaping me, but who came up with, you know, that idea of like original sin is not in the Bible. It's Augustine who was like full of shame <laughs> around his own sexuality because they, he actually felt so much desire that he didn't know what to do with it and felt out of control. Right. And so we literally are living with shame stories passed down from generation to generation to generation. And then they've just gotten twisted and manipulated and turned. And I'm like, I don't think this is how any of this is supposed to be. And I kind of feel like, you know, as someone who believes in God, God's sitting up there going, this is not what I had in mind. (laughs) This is not what I had in mind. (laughs) You know? Yeah. 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 They're probably watching going, Oh my God, what a shit show. What is going I just am like, God's like, uh, I created the bodies, friends, and I even came in the body. So, <laughs> like, why are we, abs- why do we treat them so badly? Why are we talking about them so badly? And why aren't you getting to know them? You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. where my theology is at. I just don't understand. So, I will talk about this mm-hmm. reframing for me. Okay. That I've had. What have you had happen? What is reframed for you, Kara? Well, I have decided this year that I was going to get to know my brain because I've always felt that I've always had this narrative that I am not smart enough. And I've never understood why things, why I take longer to do things than what I consider the rest of the population. And so I went and had IQ tests and reading tests done. It is true that I am probably the world's slowest reader and I have some issues with processing, but I learned that I have inattentive ADHD. And and I've been reading about it. And as I'm reading about it, I'm like, oh my Lord, (laughs) my world makes so much more sense. You know, and it's fascinating to me just, I mean, I'm in my forties and so many women are getting diagnosed in their forties because we didn't have language for this in the eighties and nineties. And, um, it was mostly studied for, for boys and they're mostly hyperactive, not always. This is what I'm learning and women present differently. And so for me, it's helped me realize there's times where I've thought that I've been lazy on things or that I'm just not as motivated, but it turns out it's just because my brain works differently. So it's been a little freeing. That's good. I think it's, 
important that if you have questions about, you know, how you feel or how you think or how you receive information or do things, right? That there's answers for those. So I think it's great that you got checked and tested and have a name for it because now you have a path, right? You can Mm -hmm. read about it and learn more about it and learn how it might have impacted you growing up, how it impacts how you feel about yourself or your Mm self-image and then move forward. Yeah. I don't know. I think moving forward is good too. Like instead of sitting in a state of long-term questioning, Mm -hmm. but to have the courage to find more information or answers and names for things and then being able to move forward. Yeah. I really feel like that's where I'm like, all right, now I know. (laughs) Now I have the ability to find the tools that will work for me and, and give myself grace that like all the suggestions that everyone has given me of like, just do this. This is what works. And this has worked for me. And I'm like, well, turns out it doesn't work for me, (laughs) you know, and then relying on people who are similar, you know, too. And to also like, clearly I've managed to do many things with this and not realize I've had it. And so I've already created things in my life to help me move forward, but to, I think, find ways now just to do it better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and instead of getting advice from people who, who don't have an attentive ADHD, right. Mm-hmm. To get, get the feedback of what works from the people who do mm-hmm. instead. Yeah. Right. Because otherwise you're just getting advice from people that don't even think like you mm-hmm. or don't operate the way you do. Yeah. So that's been, I kind of feel like when I, when I learned, it was like my brain said, finally, <laughs> like, finally, right. now we know that you are different in this way and that's okay. Now you just have to work with it because I just have always felt like this person who's just still walking and like the, you know, like I was in water and I just mm-hmm. kept trying to get out of the water and I see everyone else moving forward and I'm just still like slowly walking mm-hmm. <laughs> water. That's a waist deep. And sometimes I get up to my thighs and sometimes I get up to my knees, but I'm not moving out of the water. <laughs> that's how I felt. That's how I felt for years. And all these other people, I'm like, wait, you already passed the swim test. Like, oh, you, you got out. <laughs> Fascinating. You lunch. Yeah, you're eating lunch. I'm getting sunburned. <laughs> this isn't okay. Yeah, that's how I feel. What have well, you read? I think that's great. Jenny, what have you reframed this year? I think a lot of what I've been thinking about is when I was younger, I made a lot of plans and I set a lot of long-term goals and expectations. Mm-hmm. And what this coming out of this pandemic, or maybe we're still in it, I'm not sure, um, has made me rethink or reframe is this idea that these plans that you have or these expectations that you have, I've been thinking about how to let those go because so much has changed. The way I think, you know, the opinions I have, I think have changed over time. And 
those long-term expectations don't necessarily fit or work anymore. Mm. So one of the things I've been doing is really kind of scaling back how far out I'm willing to think. Yeah. I've been working on changing how far out I'm thinking and really I'm I've been scaling it back because the unknown and the degree of change that has occurred around the future, it's just too much, I think, to think about right now. So what I've done is really kind of started to think about today. I'm really just on today. Mm -hmm. What do I need to worry about, think about, finish, take care of today? And then what answers do I need to, to function tomorrow? and take care of tomorrow. Right. And that's been a huge shift for me to shift away from this idea of like, what's the five-year plan? What's the 10-year plan? Mm -hmm. What's the, you know, 20-year plan? There's no point. I think there's no point for me at this, at this moment in my life to be Mm -hmm. thinking about things that far out. The other realization is when I have done that, it's changed anyway. I used to live in Chicago. I thought I'd be there until I retired and family situations changed. My parents' health changed and the way that I thought things would go aren't how they went. And I wouldn't change those things. They went how life went. Life creates circumstances where you have to make different decisions. And I think it's easier to be open to those possibilities and open to those options and what could happen if you haven't so firmly put all these expectations into your brain of what mm-hmm. is needed. Because um, it creates some degree of disappointment and then frustration about your plans not going the way you wanted. And really, it's just life, right? It's just life taking its course and I don't have as much control over those things as I would like to think. So letting that go has been, has been a big shift for me. Sometimes I wonder, cause I feel like we are taught to always think ahead, like think ahead, have a plan, have your finances in order, right. <laughs> things like that have, you know, in order to be entrepreneurs, you need to have a five-year plan. You need to have this in mind to reach your goals But I think, too, sometimes we live too much in that mindset and we forget to be present. And it's like you're giving yourself an invitation to just be here right now. Right. I think I was missing things, too, right? When you think too much about the future, you're you're not really absorbed in what's happening at this moment. Because even in a basic conversation, you're thinking about, okay, how do I get this conversation done? How do I say the thing that I want to say? How do I do this? How do I do that? Right. So are you like back to this point of communication? Are you hearing what the other person is saying? Are you actually having a conversation where you're speaking back and forth to each other and learning from each other or gaining new perspective from each other? Maybe not because you're so busy working on executing the plan. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Yeah, I think you do miss a lot in the moment where I was like operating that way. Mm -hmm. I have a tendency to be into my, to be in my head too much that I miss kind of what's going on around me. And I think too, this, this last year, 
I guess like being in my head made me also realize that it's different, <laughs> you know, like I said before, which made me realize like I need, I needed to have more answers because I do feel like I was missing too much of the present moment, you know? And I think just with how much has happened these last two years, it's like we have to be in that present moment to really feel, you know, to be, to know ourselves. Do you think so? I do. To know ourselves and to be better connected with the people around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. My goodness. Those people who do mindfulness are right. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I've really been enjoying these nap apps. I've been taking a lot of naps. These, (laughs) um, they say things like, you deserve to take a rest during the day. Go ahead and lay down and, uh, or maybe it's lie down. Oh no, that's one of those things. Lay and lie. Oh, anyway, mm-hmm. it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. And they say things like, don't worry about whether or not you're actually going to fall asleep. Just relax. And I'm like, oh, I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to fall asleep. This is great. <laughs> How nice of you to give me that. And then I fall asleep. You do? I do. 28 minutes. They're like, 28 minutes is the optimal amount of time to take a rest. Oh, that's great. And then Does the it alarm, help you? It absolutely helps me. I oh, love it. Oh. So many naps. No, not multiple times a day. Like one nap every few days. It's been great. I feel like maybe I need to put that into my day. It's really nice. It is. And they're right. 28 minutes. It does do a lot. It's perfect. Because when you go yeah. over, then you get groggy. Right. Yeah. See, I think we're learning in this American culture that busyness is not awesomeness. <laughs> right? It is not. I it's, not awesome. it's not awesome. Whoever thought, whoever's like, let's work more. They had the wrong idea. <laughs> I want to say to that person, I'm sorry. That was not correct. (laughs) What do you see happening for reframing our stories going into our next year of podcasting? Oh, actually, I'm glad you asked that, Jenny, because (laughs) we are hoping, well, we've always had the idea that we want a lot of storytelling in our lives. We love storytelling. And so those who are listening, we want to hear more from you where um, we are going to shift. We're still going to have interviews because we have some awesome interviews coming up actually. But um, we also want, we are going to create like a writing template or form that whoever has a story that they want to share that needs to be, that was a reframing for them around, you know, the subjects of religion or sexuality or grief or joy or race or any of that. Um, that you can uh, write on this form and we can read your, your writing and, or share your story or that you could even come on and share your story. So, cause we believe wholeheartedly that we believe that we learn from other people and that we learn from other people's stories. And so this is what we are hoping to do for our third season of reframing our stories. Are you excited about that, Jenny? I am. I think it'll be fun. I love hearing people's stories. Mm-hmm. Me too. 
So if that is something that you're interested in and would like to be on our show, then you can contact us through our website, reframingourstories.com and, or through Instagram at reframing our stories through the DMS and we can uh, connect because we would love to hear more stories from people because, you know, here's the thing for us to be healthy as sexual individuals, we need to have conversations. And part of that is learning how to talk about sexuality and learning how to share our stories so that as we know from Brene Brown, that shame cannot survive. And we are trying to dismantle the shame that so many of us carry around because it stinks, <laughs> right? It stinks. It stinks, guys. We don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> so thank you for listening. And again, we would love for you to share with other people and to leave us um, a review at whatever um, podcasting app you listen on so that more people can find us. 